strong. Ash. Bone. And sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches. The past unburied. The books unsealed. The old celebration returning. Hello, and welcome to my study. Please come in. Uh, have a seat. Uh, well, it seems... Uh, there's been an incident. I I don't really feel comfortable going into the details, but as it uh, turns out, circumstances have arisen, uh, making it necessary to replace Mr. Wilkinson. It's it's unfortunate and beyond my control, and certainly unexpected. But that's what's happened. Uh, but the show goes on. I'm uh, grateful for relatively smooth transition, smooth as these things can ever be, uh, made possible by the Wilkinson family. The uh, routine domestic duties are being attended to, and our program will continue uninterrupted, with uh, a new reader providing quotes from the books pulled from the library here. All of this now will be in the uh, very competent hands of Mrs. Uh, Carswell, whom I'd like to welcome to the show. Thank you. Again, I'm very grateful to you and your parents for flying out to help deal with all these questions. I suppose I should explain that uh, Mrs. Carswell is actually Wilkinson's uh, sister. Yes. But you're a Carswell by marriage. My late husband's name. I have a good feeling about having you as part of the show. And you have uh, something of the same... You and your brother, you're style of speech is very polished. Elocution classes. Mother believed elocution was the gateway to success. I was a blue ribbon holder. My brother read. Monday's child is fair of face. Tuesday's child is full of grace. Uh, Wednesday... uh, That's good. But very nice and uh, perfect for our show. And the same with the house, all the domestic duties. It's it's all felt very seamless, much as it can be. It all feels very familiar. My brother discussed all his work here in our correspondences. Uh, really? Quite vividly. Before I entered any room here, I already knew what I'd find behind the door. Uh, like, he'd already walked me through. I probably know what's in most of the oh, drawers. Uh, well, I suppose it makes for greater efficiency. It's right? more than that, really. It's like a sense of belonging. There was never any doubt about it. Me belonging here. Uh, when we heard the news, I just looked at Mother, and we knew that this was the next step. I don't think either of us actually even spoke. Really? She's 89, you know. Oh. Uh, anyway, I appreciate The loyalty your family has always shown us. Some people find it a peculiar arrangement, but they don't understand how each generation is connected and indebted to the last. We just believe in honoring family commitments. Yes, it's it's hardly chattel slavery where there's a salary involved. No, that's what Mother always says. Oh. 
Seven generations isn't that long in the big picture. It's strange how things sort themselves out if you let them. I just wish it weren't so difficult to explain to all these busybodies with their forms to fill out and asking uh, questions. They don't even have the capacity or stomach to understand. I'm sure they mean well. The one thing I can't understand, well, my brother always hated cats, at least as a child. I could feel the fear in him whenever one was around, a sort of quivering. I always seemed to know what he was thinking or feeling. That is strange. That's just the kind of bond we've had. We were born on the same day, you know. He never mentioned being a twin. Every day there's something else I realize I didn't know about him. I don't think I even knew his birthday. August 25th. Ah, well, if I failed him, at least I can arrange something for you with it coming up so soon. No, that's his day. Mine is May 15th. We were both born on a Wednesday. Wednesday's <sighs> child and, is full of woe. I'm sure our listeners are happy to have someone filling Wilkinson's shoes, someone close to him especially. Close as cat's breath, as mother always says. Is that Southern? Or your, mother no. says it, and her mother before her, I'm sure. Paints a picture, doesn't it? You can feel it on the hairs of your arm. A sort of a breathing presence. Uh, Yeah, a a tickle, sort of like cat's whiskers. A breathing presence. Not whiskers. I know. Well, we can work this out. Uh, Ever onward. Uh, Let's just go ahead and start the show. Episode 31, Baba Yaga. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, explores the uh, intertwining of horror and folklore in a uh, historical context. I started this show as a way to further explore this uh, area of intersection after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors, who receive a number of monthly rewards related to the uh, production and themes of this show, And I'll have more on Patreon at the end of the episode. Our folk tales this episode will begin a bit differently than with the uh, familiar Once Upon a Time, The uh, Russian formulation is often... In a certain Tsardom, across three times nine kingdoms. This was the phrase often employed in the massive collection of nearly 600 folktales collected between 1855 and 1867 by Russia's answer to the Brothers Grimm, Alexander Afanasyev. Quite a few of these tales, or skatsi as they're called, feature the witch, Baba Yaga, and... We'll begin with one in which she's particularly well-defined, Vasilisa the Beautiful. As the story begins, the only daughter of a merchant, the eight-year-old Vasilisa is called to her mother's sickbed. The ailing woman produces a small wooden doll, saying, There is no other like it in the whole world. Carry it always about with thee in thy pocket, and never show it to anyone. When evil threatens thee, or sorrow befalls thee, 
go into a corner, take it from thy pocket, and give it something to eat and drink. It will tell thee how to act in thy time of need. The doll comforts Vasilisa through her mother's death, but a short time later, another misfortune befalls her. The merchant marries a widow with two unattractive daughters, jealous of Vasilisa's beauty. Like Cinderella, she's cruelly treated by the sisters and sent to hard labor by the stepmother. But the little doll takes over her chores, lightening her load. Things take an even more dire turn when the merchant embarks on a long trip, and the stepmother sells their house and moves them all to a gloomy neighborhood on the edge of a wild forest. Then one night, while the three girls are hard at work making lace and knitting socks by candlelight, one of the stepsisters extinguishes the flame while pretending to trim the wick. In fact, it's just an excuse to send Vasilisa out to fetch fire from their only neighbor who happens to be the Baba Yaga. Vasilisa sets out fearfully into the night pausing to consult the doll, who assures her she will be protected. The wood was very dark, and Vasilisa could not help trembling from fear. Suddenly, she heard the sound of a horse's hooves, and a man on horseback galloped past her. He was dressed all in white. The horse under him was milk white, and the harness was white, and just as he passed her, it became twilight. She went a little further, and again she heard the sound of horses' hooves, and there came another man on horseback, galloping past her. He was dressed in red, and the horse under him was blood red, and the harness was red, and just as he passed her, the sun rose. The whole day Vasilisa walked, for she had lost her way. She could find no path at all in the dark wood, and she found no food to set before the little doll to make it alive. But at evening, she came all at once to the green lawn where the wretched little hut stood on its hen's legs. The wall around the hut was made of human bones, and on top were skulls. There was a gate in the wall whose hinges were the bones of human feet and whose locks were jawbones set with sharp teeth. The sight filled Vasilisa with horror, and she stopped as still as a post buried in the ground. As she stood there, a third man on horseback came galloping up. His face was black, he was dressed all in black, and the horse he rode was coal black. He galloped up to the gate of the hut and disappeared there, as if he had sunk through the ground. And at that moment, the night came and the forest grew dark. But it was not dark on the green lawn, for instantly the eyes of all the skulls on the wall were lighted up and shone till the place was as bright as day. When she saw this, Vasilisa trembled so with fear that she could not run away. Then suddenly, the wood became full of a terrible noise. The trees began to groan, the branches to creak, and the dry leaves to rustle. And the Baba Yaga came flying from the forest. She was riding in a great iron mortar and driving it with a pestle. 
and as she came, she swept away her trail behind her with a kitchen broom. She rode up to the gate, and stopping said, Little house, little house, stand the way thy mother placed thee. Turn thy back to the forest and thy face to me. The house spins around with its door facing front, but before entering, the Baba Yaga sniffs out the scent of Vasilisa and demands to know what business she has there. When she hears the girl's request, she says Vasilisa must pay for fire by becoming her servant. The Baba Yaga commands the bony locks to unlock, and they enter the hut, which is illuminated by skulls with flames flickering within. Vasilisa lights a splinter of wood from one of these, makes a fire, and serves the witch dinner, which she gobbles up, bones and all. After doing so, the Baba Yaga announces an impossible set of chores to be completed the next day. Luckily, Vasilisa is able to set aside a morsel of food for the doll, whom she consults once the witch has fallen asleep. The doll reassures her, and she too falls asleep. When Vasilisa woke the next morning, very early, it was still dark. She rose and looked out of the window, and she saw the eyes of the skulls on the wall were growing dim. Just before the skulls flicker out, the white horseman rides by. The witch appears in the yard, whistles to her mortar, broom, and pestle, which fly to her. And then... As she got into the mortar... The man dressed all in red mounted on the blood-red horse, galloped like the wind around the corner of the hut, leaped the wall, and was gone. And at that moment, the sun rose. The witch flies off in her mortar, and it is only then that Vasilisa realizes that the tasks assigned to her have been completed in the night by the little doll. When the Baba Yaga returns, expecting Vasilisa to have failed at her tasks, and expecting therefore to eat her, she's taken aback to find everything as requested. This cycle of mysterious horsemen appearing and impossible tasks completed repeats for another day. Upon returning to find the tasks completed a second time, and with nothing else to scold Vasilisa about, the witch chastens her for being so silent at dinner. And so, Vasilisa asks about the mysterious white horseman she has seen. That was my white bright day, answered the Baba Yaga angrily. He is a servant of mine, but he cannot hurt thee. Ask me more. The Red Rider, she says, is her servant, the sun, and the black, the night. Then the witch says it is her turn to ask a question. How is it that thou hast been able, in a little time, to do perfectly all the tasks I gave thee? Tell me. Vasilisa realizes she should not mention the doll itself, but says... The blessing of my dead mother helps me. The witch is furious. I want no one who bears a blessing to cross my threshold. Get thee gone. As Vasilisa flees into the yard... The Baba Yaga seized from the wall one of the skulls with burning eyes and flung it after her. There, she howled, is the fire for thy stepmother's daughters. Vasilisa put the skull on the end of a stick and darted away through the forest, running as fast as she could, finding her path by the skull's glowing eyes, which went out only when morning came. The next day, toward evening, she has reached the edge of the woods, and the skull's eyes have begun to glimmer. 
As she draws closer to home, Vasilisa decides that by this time her stepmother and sisters would surely have found their own fire, and she throws the skull into the hedge. But the skull speaks up. Do not throw me away, beautiful Vasilisa. Bring me to thy stepmother. And indeed, as the cabin comes into view, she sees no light, and Vasilisa is greeted with surprising gratitude. The stepmother took the skull into the best room, set it on a candlestick, and called her two daughters to admire it. But the eyes of the skull suddenly began to glimmer and to glow like red coals. And whenever the three turned or ran, the eyes followed them, growing larger and brighter, till they flamed like two furnaces, and hotter and hotter, till the merchant's wife and her two wicked daughters took fire and were burned to ashes. Only Vasilisa the Beautiful was not touched. There's a bit more to the story, with Vasilisa being taken into the home of an elderly woman, where she takes up weaving, and she excels at this craft uh, so remarkably that it brings her to the attention of the Tsar, who falls in love with her. The two are married, and Vasilisa spends the rest of her life in the palace, always carrying in her pocket the little doll that protected her. The Baba Yaga's appearance, as you would have surmised, is that of a disheveled old crone. She is humpbacked and often goes by the epitaph Bony Legs. She also is described as large, particularly her nose, which according to one of the translators of these tales, William Shedden Ralston, is sometimes described as being of iron, as also are her long pendant breasts and her sharp, strong teeth. Her nose is apparently sensitive to what in many of the stories is termed the Russian scent. That is, the smell of civilized Christian folk who find their way into her realm, in the same way that Scandinavian trolls are often said to smell Christian blood. Her house is invariably located in a difficult-to-reach place, usually the forest, and made more difficult to access by the magic fence of bones and the house standing with its door facing away from the visitors, both of which require proper spells for access, a formulation we've just heard in Vasilisa the Beautiful and one repeated verbatim in nearly all the tales. Descriptions of her flying likewise always include mention of her sweeping away her trail with her broom, a detail reinforcing the idea of the Baba Yaga being difficult to find. The mortar in which she flies, she also may use to grind the bones of victims into something she considers edible. And the pestle used for steering her flying mortar may be used both as a club and magic wand. Like Western witches, she is often depicted with a cat, but she may also command a pack of dogs, a flock of geese or swans, or even be served by pairs of disembodied hands. Other stories mention her possessing magic or healing water, supernatural horses, a self-playing guzli or a Russian zither, boots that cover vast distances in one stride, a flying sword, or a flying carpet. You may have noticed that our text speaks of the Baba Yaga rather than using it as a proper name. It's the same thing I've explained about the Krampus being the name of a class of beings rather than individual. 
In fact, there are multiple Baba Yagas in some stories, Three Sisters in One, and another story, The Blue Coffer, speaks of the Baba Yaga's children, though they turn out to be worms, frogs, rats, and all sorts of insects. Which is particularly unpleasant as the girl forced to serve the Baba Yaga in this story has agreed, sight unseen, to bathe her children. The Baba Yaga is found in the folklore of all Slavic countries, but is most prominent among the Eastern Slavs, that is, uh, the Russians and Ukrainians. While the word Baba in Old Russian uh, could be a term for sorceress, fortune teller, or midwife, the source of the word Yaga is not generally agreed upon. While the majority of tales featuring the Baba Yaga portray her as a decidedly menacing figure, in a few others, she is more ambivalent or even helpful. In one, for instance, she provides the hero in a quest beyond the thrice ninth land, in the thirteenth kingdom, help in finding a beautiful maiden from whose hands and feet healing water flows. But a better known example in this regard is the Frog Tsarina, which is a sort of reversal of the uh, Frog Prince tale. In it, Three sons of a Tsar are married off, one through a choice made by an arrow fired at random and landing in a swamp and selecting a frog for his bride. Luckily, this amphibian is blessed not only with the power of speech, but other magic abilities, giving it an advantage when the Tsar puts his three daughters-in-law to a test in tailoring shirts, baking bread, and embroidering tapestries. As the winner, the frog is invited to appear at the Tsar's court to be honored. Making her appearance there, she reveals her human form, that of a beautiful woman. The husband, wishing to keep her always in this form, burns the frog skin she has left behind. The betrayal infuriates the frog Tsarina. She reveals that she is actually a fairy, also named Vasilisa, and flies off in the form of a dove. To find her, the husband must consult the Baba Yaga, who is described in the story as the oldest of the Baba Yagas, the bony-legged grandmother of all the witches. The witch informs him that the fairy Vasilisa daily flies across the forest, stopping in the Baba Yaga's hut, and that he should hide himself and wait to seize her, warning that she will first transform into a lizard, then a snake, and then an arrow. If the arrow is broken in three pieces, Vasilisa will assume her human form and again be his. But when the fairy enters and is seized, this particularly squeamish uh, prince fails as he is unable to uh, bring himself to touch the loathsome lizard. In this story, there are three Baba Yaga sisters, and after this failure, the prince is sent to the hut of the second witch, where he manages to hold the lizard, but lets slip the snake. Finally, in the house of the third Baba Yaga, he manages to complete his task and reclaim his bride. This uh, particularly kindly Baba Yaga even sends the couple away with a gift, a magic horse. Of the more common type of tales featuring the Baba Yaga in a more menacing role, one of the better known is called a Princess Maya or the Death of Cachet the Deathless. 
This uh, tale actually showcases Cachet, who is the nemesis in a number of folk tales, a sorcerer sometimes regarded as the uh, male analog to the Baba Yaga, often represented as a crowned skeletal figure and known for hiding his soul in the form of a needle within an egg within a duck, uh, Russian doll style. This tale begins with the beautiful warrior Princess Maria uh, marrying Prince Ivan, who accidentally releases Cachet from Maria's dungeon. Once freed, Cachet abducts Maria, spiriting her away in a horse of great speed. Learning that the horse has been provided by the Baba Yaga, Ivan goes to the old witch to obtain a more competitive ride for himself. As in her first tale, the witch says that she will consider his request, but he must serve her as a stable boy and graze her horses. If he loses a single animal, she warns, she will use his head to top a fence post on her grisly fence of human remains. Since obtaining his head for her fence is her real goal, she secretly instructs her horses to flee and hide themselves when taken to pasture. But each time they are let out, the horses return to the intervention of some magical animal, a bird, a bee, and crayfish that Yvonne has previously befriended. The crayfish suggests that Yvonne escape by night on the Baba Yaga's own horse, which he does, managing to catch up with Cachet and defeat him. The Baba Yaga who has followed Yvonne is destroyed in this tale as she attempts to cross a bridge over a river of fire. Unfortunately for her, this bridge was created by Yvonne using a magic handkerchief stolen from Cachet, and through that same magic, Yvonne is able to drop the bridge into the flames where the witch perishes. In another tale called Little Bear's Son, the Baba Yaga plagues a trio of giants led by the even mightier human Little Bear's Son, uh, so named as he happened to be a foundling raised by bears. The witch's uh, first appearance in this tale is particularly dramatic. Suddenly it thundered. The wind began to moan. The earth began to shake. And the wild, thick, silent forest bent down to the ground. The giant grew faint and giddy. And everything seemed to turn green. As he looked out of the window, he saw the earth begin to rise and from under it lifted a huge stone, and from beneath the stone came a Baba Yaga, riding in a great iron mortar. As suggested in this passage, the Baba Yaga's home here is located in an underworld into which our heroes must descend to defeat her. There they meet a beautiful damsel who warns them that the witch's power is even greater in the underworld and they stand little chance of defeating her by strength alone. However, she has a helpful suggestion. In the witch's house are two casks of magic water. Strong water from which the Baba Yaga draws her power and weak water used to incapacitate her enemies. If the casks are switched, and the witch is tricked into drinking the weak water, she can then be defeated. But, the damsel further warns, When thou drawest thy sword, however, strike but a single stroke. Her mortar, her pestle, and her broom, all her faithful servants, 
will cry out to thee to strike again. But if thou strikest a second stroke, she will instantly come to life again. Little Bear resists the temptation to strike a second time, slays and burns the witch, and returns to the upper world with the damsel who becomes his bride. Another tale, also featuring uh, magically enervating good water and destructive bad water, is The Footless and Blind Champions. I mentioned this one primarily because it portrays the Baba Yaga as visiting a merchant's daughter at night to drink her blood. And she's destroyed in uh, this one by being tossed into a well of bad water where she bursts into flames. In another story, The Three Knots, the witch uses a hair plucked from the victim's head and tied in three knots in a spell that petrifies the victim, whom she then grinds to dust in her mortar. In this one, the Baba Yaga is tricked into demonstrating the spell using a hair from her own head, thereby turning herself to stone. In other stories, in which the witch attempts to place her victim in a roasting pan, the hero refuses to curl up in a way that accommodates the pan, and the uh, Baba Yaga is similarly tricked into demonstrating the proper way to lie in the pan. Of course, the figure of the Baba Yaga has inspired countless interpretations by artists in Russia and beyond. One of the best known would be the 1874 recital favorite, Bozorsky's Suite, Pictures at an Exhibition, which is uh, what you've been hearing. The pictures inspiring uh, these pieces were from a memorial exhibition of work by the recently deceased artist and designer Victor Hartmann a friend of Mussorgsky's who championed native Russian styles and folkloric art. The Baba Yaga piece was actually inspired by a design for a lovely little clock in the shape of the witch's hut. I'll, I'll post an image of it on the uh, website. Let me tell you the story of a Russian witch. She's a nightmare woman out of Russian myth. The Baba Yaga's influence on musicians, of course, has extended further afield, all the way to Rochester, Minnesota, where in 1965, a garage rock band called The Pagans recorded this. But the representation of the Baba Yaga I am most eager to share would be her portrayal in the films of the Russian director Alexander Rue. Beginning in 1939 with a version of the Frog Tsarina and uh, running up to 1972, the year before he died, Rue made over a dozen films inspired by Russian fairy tales. The Baba Yaga, who appeared in many of these, was always portrayed by the male actor Yorgi Miliar. Both Rue and Miliar, who played other roles such as uh, Cachet the Deathless in his films, were immensely popular in Russia and continue to influence how Russians today imagine the character of the Baba Yaga. Milyar's uh, portrayal is broadly comic, and the films are uh, delightfully inventive and campy and exotic and nostalgic all at once. Um, best known to American audiences would be, be uh, 1965's uh, Father Frost, in English, 
which was uh, dubbed for limited kitty matinee screens in the U.S. at the time it was released. And it can still be found on YouTube. I'll have some links to uh, Rue's work on the site. Now, while the first reference in print to the Baba Yaga is in a uh, 1755 book called Russian Grammar, it's presumed the figure uh, comes from much older mythology. In fact, uh, while the reference in question says nothing specific about her, she's included in a list of uh, Slavic deities. Our story, Vasilisa the Beautiful, explicitly connects her with the course of the sun in the sky, suggesting she may have evolved from a solar deity, which, while usually male, in the case of Slavic paganism, was imagined as female. And stories referring to uh, the 12 fence posts surrounding the witch's hut have therefore been uh, taken to represent the zodiac. And others regard her as descended from uh, the goddess of death in winter called Marena, who, by the Christian Middle Ages, was uh, being compared to the Greek goddess of witchcraft, Hecate. Certainly, the generous use of skulls and bone decor around her home argues for this uh, death connection, and it's been suggested that the uh, placement of her house on stilts represents some sort of uh, removal from the world of the living. It's also been uh, tied to the uh, pagan Slavic practice of retaining the cremated remains of the dead in urns placed in little huts elevated on poles. These uh, huts formerly would be left open on one side so that food offerings might be left. And then later in the Christian era, they made their way into cemeteries. And the notion of this um, sheltered space for the departed, in Orthodox countries at least, was understood as the source of the uh, capped or uh, roofed crosses you find in cemeteries to this day. Then there's the winds that herald the Baba Yaga's arrival also might connect her with the spirits of the storm, the phantasmal riders in the sky known as the wild hunt in the west. And one last connection suggested by uh, William Shedden Ralston, a translator of the tales you've been hearing, is uh, the uh, folkloric fiery serpent of the eastern Slavs. The witch's flights in her mortar, he connects with uh, celestial phenomena such as meteors or lightning, likewise said to represent the fiery serpent. This creature is also regarded as sort of uh, incubus, uh, visiting women by night, particularly those made desperate by love. Within the uh, Russian-dominated culture of the Eastern Slavs, the figure of the uh, Baba Yaga is uh, quite elaborately articulated in folk tales and their literary retellings, but uh, other Slavic regions uh, have their own versions of the figure, representing her more uh, loosely as a sort of uh, bugaboo used by parents to threaten misbehaving children. The Serbian Baba Korizma, also called Iron Tooth, is known mainly for spiriting away naughty children in a sack. And her cousin, the uh, cave-dwelling uh, Baba Roga, found in uh, Serbia, Croatia, and Poland, is uh, named for the single horn she sports on her head. The uh, Slovenians, like the Czechs and Slovaks, have the Jezi Baba, meaning uh, roughly grandmother witch, who lives in a hut on the shores of a lake, no 
uh, chicken legs or bone fence for her. And uh, tends to be more benevolent than the uh, Russian Baba Yaga. Uh, she dispenses charms and witchy wisdom to those who petition her correctly. The Czechs also speak of a being called the uh, Yagabura, a witchy personification of the winds and storms. The Poles have their uh, Baba Yedza, known for spreading disease, and the Hungarians, the uh, Vasharu Baba, known for her iron nose and her hut, which stands not on uh, two chicken legs, but a single duck leg. And then there's the Slovenians, who made their way into Austria's Corinthian region, brought the uh, Slavic figure, which seems to have uh, melded with the indigenous witchy uh, bugaboo Pershta, to become Petra Baba. Uh, she's a cloaked figure with a face covered either by uh, long black hair or veil, who enters homes on Epiphany Eve, distributing sausages from a pronged hook to children who have been good. Speaking of the Baba Yaga's role as a punisher of uh, naughty children, there's one, well, actually two stories from our own times with uh, which I'd like to close our episode. The first involves a Baba Yaga attack upon a child in June of 2018, one that occurred at an old Russia-themed tourist park near Leningrad and resulted in the death of an eight-year-old boy. We don't know if the child was particularly naughty, but the Baba Yaga apparently came down on him hard in the form of a ten-foot statue which the boy toppled while attempting to climb. The second, uh, equally tragic, but more terrifying story, perhaps, is that of uh, Tamara Samsonova, a disheveled and mentally disturbed senior citizen arrested in 2015 for the murder of at least 10 victims in the St. Petersburg area and dubbed by the Russian press the Baba Yaga killer. A missing person investigation in Russia took a grisly turn when body parts began to surface. The investigation closed in on a pensioner in the city of St. Petersburg. There's still some debate as to whether Samsonova had actually eaten the flesh of her victims, but she did dismember them in her kitchen and boil severed heads and hands on her stove. Her two-decade crime spree detailed in lurid diaries came to an end when a package of body parts disposed of in the street outside her home was discovered. Samsonova was committed to a psychiatric hospital in December of 2015, but plans were announced to commemorate her foul deeds with a figure in the uh, St. Petersburg Wax Museum. The museum mainly uses the images of characters from literature, but the director believes that real life is sometimes even more scary than fiction. I do hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you uh, might have the opportunity to uh, share episodes with friends who might be inclined to uh, enjoy this sort of thing. We particularly appreciate reviews as these are the best way to raise the show's visibility on Apple Podcasts and other outlets. If you've uh, left a review, by all means, do let me know and we'll give you a little shout out. 
our website, boneandsickle.com, provides links to our uh, Facebook group, Twitter, and Instagram, along with uh, show notes, which are filled with images and video links to uh, whatever film trailers or music I might have used in the episode. Uh, music and sound design otherwise are all original for the show. Uh, you can also find our donor link on the site. Uh, Patreon members have a choice of rewards, including exclusive access to uh, extra elements that go into the making of the podcast, uh, digital downloads of rare books used in the preparation of the show, the uh, show soundscapes you hear in the background in my Krampus book, and a special mystery kit mailed to our top-level donors. Donation levels begin at $1 a month, and your support via Patreon is the sole support that pays for the more than 100 hours of work that goes into each episode. Uh, yes, really, 100 hours. A special thanks to our new patrons, uh, Paul Deese, Casey Moriarty, Jessica Sparks, Nia T, and uh, Harafnansen Ross. I, sorry, that's Icelandic and a little bit beyond <laughs> what I can improvise. But thank you all. Uh, the show is written and produced by me, Al Reidenauer, and Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writings on mortuary history and culture you can track at sarahchavez.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>